0: Are we ready for a little break from coronavirus talk? I know that I am, although I will admit to enjoying this time in quarantine with my newborn son, Soren. If you want to see photos, uh, we're posting a lot of pictures and videos of him. You can follow me on Instagram, Dan Coke, but spelled C-O-K-E instead of K-O-C-H. This conversation today is somewhat winding, which is the only kind of conversation I ever have with Dr. Trip Fuller, my buddy and host of the Homebrewed Christianity podcast. But it all swirls around one thing, and that is the concept of the cosmic Christ, also known as the universal Christ, which is the title of the recent Richard Rohr book that has gotten a lot of press. So Trip and I attempt to answer four questions, or I guess I ask them and he answers them. First, why attach the name Christ to Jesus in the first place? Where'd that come from? Second, why use the term cosmic Christ? What is that supposed to mean or signify? Third, how has the phrase cosmic changed given evolution, the age of the universe, and modern science? And finally, how has the concept of Christ changed as a result of what humanity has learned since the days of early Christianity? We also try out a few definitions of the term Cosmic Christ or Universal Christ along the way. All right, everybody, stay home if you can, stay safe, and enjoy this episode. Trip, thank you so much for being here. I, I got to set this up a little bit and and take responsibility for what happened. All right. I had a—
1: I like watching you repent. <laughs>
0: public repentance. I had a beautiful 90 minute conversation with Ilya Delio. She is a theologian and a scientist. And is she a former nun? Is she still a nun? She's a sister. She's yeah, a sister, Catholic nun, brilliant woman about the cosmic Christ. It was like not only interesting, but it was like personally pastorally valuable conversation. And at the end of it, I realized that I had not recorded her audio <laughs> and she's a very busy woman and uh, was not oh, able man. to reschedule anytime soon. I felt crushed. I've I've literally only done that twice in my three or four years of podcasting, uh, but I did it. The other time I realized that halfway through, I was able to at least we rescheduled and it worked out fine. This time I fully, I just totally shat the bed. Um, so I asked well, you, it's okay, if you, would, Dan. you know, her, you've talked with her, uh, yeah. you certainly know her work. This is kind of your, your sort of scholarly world as well. So I thought maybe trip will have this conversation with me about the cosmic slash universal Christ. So we're doing it. Thank you. We're going to do it. It's just, everyone should,
1: you know, if you listen to theology podcasts and never see Ilya on them again, you know, the reason why. Because she's sitting there saying to herself, so
0: burned. (laughs) I said, yes,
1: I thought it was an invitation from the universal Christ. I said, yes, did this brilliant conversation with this young man who didn't even honor my voice enough to hit
0: record. Jeez. Thanks for making it. She's been on homebrewed
1: a few times so you can.
0: Yeah, good. uh, We'll link to that. In fact, that's, that's the solution. We're going to link to her episodes with you. So if people want to hear her voice, they can do that. They, they won't be as good, you know, because I pretty quickly get distracted by very
1: fine points of evolutionary panentheism that I want to talk to her about.
0: That's true, because you're like so in that world and you want to pick her brain. Well, that's what today is for. We are going to have a more general conversation about the cosmic Christ. And then if people want uh, to go deeper with Ilya, they can go to your show. And I also want to say this. This is my second interview in a row today. And it's 2 p.m. my time. It's 10 p.m. your time. So not only is it 5.30 somewhere, it's 10 p.m. where you are in Scotland. So I've poured myself a Manhattan, and I've got a beer in the fridge waiting for me. Oh, yeah. Afternoon, day drinking, because my brain is slightly fried already. But I think we're going to have fun here. Oh, yeah. And hopefully not waste anyone's time. So no. Can I ask you a question first? Please, kick us off. All right, so... You grew up evangelical context. When was the first time
1: you even heard the phrase universal Christ or cosmic Christ? Let's do cosmic
0: Christ. That's a great question. I first heard it like somebody referencing it on either the Pete Holmes podcast that I was listening to or someone referencing the Pete Holmes podcast. Him saying something like, and I know, I know that like Jesus maybe didn't have to raise from the dead and cosmic Christ and yada, yada, yada. That was the sentence I heard. And I was like, whoa, okay, Uh, that's a lot of information in one sentence. This is probably five years ago or something like that. Uh, The podcast is called You Made It Weird. I don't remember who he was talking to. I don't remember if that's the first time I heard it or not, but something like that. And I was like, okay, so whatever this term cosmic Christ means, it means that there's no resurrection or is it like a downgrading? You know, that's kind of, those were the thoughts I had at the time around that phrase. And I got to say, until my chat with Ilya you know, uh, a few weeks ago, I didn't totally even understand what the term meant. It's one of those that I think people kind of throw it around kind of willy-nilly, and um, that's why I want to talk about it. because I want to actually get a real clear understanding of what are we talking about. So that was my introduction. Like, what was your reaction to that story?
1: Uh, uh, no, two things. One is the snarky response is the first time you heard about a cosmic Christ was the first time you read the Gospel of John. <laughs> oh, yes. Um the whole in the beginning was the word of yeah. it. And but, but the other part is I think the reason Cosmic Christ has gained so much popularity whether they found it on a podcast, Richard Rohr or any of the basically Catholic spiritual types who told a bunch of Protestants, you know what we've been saying for a while? <laughs> right. Um is because the the question of where the doctrine of cosmic Christ kind of emerges in the early church and how it gets spelled out is when the church is having to make sense of what it means to call Jesus the Christ, that a large portion of the Jews haven't become Christians and recognized he's the Christ. And they're trying to give an account of themselves in the public square that's primarily shaped by Greek philosophy. Hmm. Right. And so yeah. I, I say all that because there's a whole bunch of evangelicals who, encountered the living god as mediated by jesus in their in their relationship to the church and in a cultural and historical situation where a lot of the diversity that's around and more visible now wasn't as visible and a lot of times people hadn't had a relationship that fractured the way you fit them in that my tribe versus your tribe kind of context and so then once you see this person that that If you keep that tribal Christ image is on the other side of you, and then you encounter the presence of God in them, the same presence of the God you encountered when you walk down the aisle or whatever that kind of thing was, you're like WTF. Like I've encountered the real God in my faith in this home, and I just met it in my Jewish neighbor who is also gay and keeps the Sabbath better than me. And that's one of the Ten Commandments maybe they don't know the whole story or all the context, but when they're using the phrase, I think they're wanting to acknowledge the presence of the same God they've encountered in Christ in relationships and spaces that
0: before their tribal identity said no. Okay. That's very helpful. And that's actually a nice link between the time in which these, uh, the gospels are written, the early epistles and our time. Right. So At the time of the early Christian writings, Christians are a minority, they're a religious minority in a sort of pluralistic society because the Roman Empire is stretching all over the known world, at least the Western world at that time, uh, and into the East, right? So they're aware there are other religious traditions. There's the official polytheism of the Roman Empire, which is based on the Greek gods. There's Judaism. There are these Christians, right? Um, Maybe they're aware of Zoroastrianism and and some of the mystery cults like Mithraism and stuff like that. Kind of like we find ourselves today in the States and maybe 40 years ago in Europe, right? Where it's like, oh, it's not just all a bunch of Christians anymore. Even people who claim Christianity are kind of flirting with other philosophies and ways of life. Buddhism and meditation have come in and yoga and stuff. Muslims have moved here. We're having – Public debates about Islam. You know, if you live in an urban context, you might have some Jewish friends practicing Jews, Orthodox Jews, conservative Jews. And so there's actually quite a bit of rhyming historically between the time in which these doctrines were kind of being, I don't know, very beginnings of hammering them out and our day now. Right. I, th- I think it's always important to remember, especially in America, that it's easy For
1: white Protestants to feel like all of a sudden this giant diversity just blew up in their face. You've talked about this in Depolarize that for people with cultural dominance and privilege, until there's 30 percent difference in the makeup of the people you interact with regularly and stories you hear about, you don't notice them. And that's not even like a judgy thing. It's really when that equilibrium of sameness
0: is stretched to a point. So, all right. Rather than start with a definition of cosmic Christ, you brought up before we started here four really good sort of like orienting questions that we're going to go through one at a time each, and then we're going to like define it. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read those four right now, and then we'll start one at a time. Why attach Christ to Jesus to begin with? Like, why not just Jesus? Why Jesus Christ? Why the cosmic Christ? So why is the Christ element of Jesus Christ cosmic and not localized. Uh, How has the phrase cosmic changed given evolution and what we know about science? And how has the concept of Christ changed over time as well? So those are the four things we're going to go into, and then we're going to go for a succinct definition. Let's start with the first one. Why did the early Christians attach Christ to the name of Jesus to begin with? Well, I think there's two important parts of it. One is if you pay attention to
1: the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, you'll see that the phrase that gets translated in Greek, you know, the Christ, is applied to a number of different people, right? Like David, and it just means the Anointed One. Sometimes it's a, it's applied to a judge, right, and that's anointed and brought up to lead the people of Israel or a king or, or that kind of thing, um, and it usually refers to someone. Who is being anointed for a vocational purpose Mm -hmm. uh, to lead and facilitate the embodiment of God's will in the world? In that instance, right? For that, whatever event or period. You've been called unto this purpose, you know? Right. When Israel's in turmoil and we need the leader, and then the, the prophet anoints the leader, you're like, it's the anointed one. So you know, if you want to be on God's side, join the one who God has anointed, and then not only. Can you be faithful to God? Like, you will be discovering who the God is that goes ahead of you, which is, you know, the the kind of depiction of Yahweh in Hebrew scriptures. So in apocalyptic Judaism, in the Second Temple period, which is the Explain time— right.
0: The, both of those terms, apocalyptic okay. and Se- Second Temple Judaism. Okay, so so the big question, especially as the early church read
1: the Hebrew scriptures, the big question is, how is there one good God who made a world and called it good and— the character of God is not reflected in its history, right? And over time in the history of Israel, you see different ways of addressing this. But the first one is chapter 12 of Genesis, right? All the nations now speak different languages, Tower of Babel, and God's like, I tried to deal with everybody and they tried to ransack heaven. And so God decides to To take the paradigm of covenant, which is subversive because, and this is really important when we get to the cosmic Christ. The pattern of biblical religion is that God chooses a particular people for a universal horizon. God chooses to bless Abraham, Sarah, and descendants exactly on behalf of the whole. Their vocation, right? What they're anointed to, what they're called to in the covenant is to faithfully follow the God who has covenanted and promised to be faithful um, to them. So the context of Hebrew scripture, if we're setting up the cosmic Christ is the God of history, the one good God who made all creation, all the cosmos realized you can't talk to everyone top down one direction or we act a fool. And what is the context where someone or some people come to understand themselves as made and known and loved by the one true God? it's in relationship. And so the story of Israel, you see a people with a growing understanding of who God is, and that growing understanding through the story, right? Abraham just knows he's saying yes to something. He doesn't know whether there's only one God. He doesn't know God's triune, right, if you're Christian, right? So, um, So it's in the context of Israel's faithfulness, turning away, redemption, exile, return, that they come to understand more of who God is and in their faithfulness, can show more of who God is in the world. And so the covenant is the context by which God's divine self-investment in the world is parodied or mimicked or given flesh or right. Israel, when they're in trouble, they start to get faithful, return to God. Then things start going good. They start selling weapons to their neighbors. That's what Solomon does. (laughs) And uh, uh, they start to look more like Pharaoh uh, than the ones who've been redeemed. And so prophets come and prophets are like, come on, you're the covenant people. Did you forget who you were, what your identity is? Your identity is to be faithful to the God who calls you so that then the things you're trying to fix with fight, with power, with domination, with tricks and swindling and cuddling up to empire are fixed because all the people will see what it's like when the love of God is materialized, made flesh in community. So the prophets keep doing this. And what did we learn? And everyone that's part of any religious community or a family with at least two people in it knows this: humans suck yeah. at doing the right thing
0: with the people they care and love about most. <laughs> like Israel's predicament is a human predicament, and so yeah, that's the, why those stories resonate so much, right? I mean, just to people—people right. people who have like really even no religious background—like the basic stories of the Jewish scriptures are imprinted in Western canon because they are so universal. Mm-hmm. Like take, for example, which I th- it really matters for I think for this
1: question is uh, the problem of evil. The wisdom of the Hebrew people is that they canonized multiple answers to it, right? Like Proverbs is like if you do good, the good God blesses you. If you do bad, the the, the good God curses you because right. so you should do good. And then um, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Well, you know, you get Job, which who knows oh, which version? There's right. a million interpretations of Job. One where God just says, "Shut up, I made everything." Another where that ending gets added on, like you know, Job, like. But you get the friends repeating Bible verses to him. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. the only thing Job and God agree on is that his friends suck, and they were <laughs> the ones quoting Bible at
0: him. Um, which and, then, I, and I then Ecclesiastes, right? So the, yeah. there is nothing. You know, basically, there is no justice. <laughs> all is vanity.
1: But. In the meantime, why not have some more fun with your friends?
0: Yeah, yeah. And as long as you're not a king, it's okay to drink more. (laughs) Like, uh, so,
1: and so, like, I say that because you know what that conversation being there didn't put on the table? That God isn't good. So, we may not know the answer. We may have a story that's the oldest story in the Hebrew Bible, Job, with multiple endings and it's been edited, but the only one who we know is wrong is the one who quoted the first book in the Bible about wisdom and what we're supposed to do, and that's Proverbs. So, the but all of the text there, what they're wrestling with is, tell me, God, how it makes sense that you're the good God of all creation. Apocalyptic Judaism, it comes out of a situation where human beings recognize we do not have the potential on our own to embody and be God's remedy to that answer. And so we know there has to be a new revelation, a new encounter, a ripping apart of our cosmos and something new happening.
0: So apocalyptic
1: Judaism realized under first Greek and then Roman oppression that we can't just have one faithful people and all of a sudden it happens. Right. In order for the world to be set to right and, and show the character of God, God's going to have to get involved, a new world, or you could say the kingdom of God or the day of the Lord. Those are all biblical phrases about apocalyptic Judaism, and that's the context where Jesus is born. And so when the early church started using the word Christ, the job description of the anointed one has switched from called – Vocationally, for a particular purpose to settle uh, land disputes early, tribal identity time, to profit to anoint the king and kick out a sheedy one. To, if you're going to be anointed now, some Jews said, This is the one that's anointed who is the son of man and is going to bring the apocalyptic eruption where God's
0: finally going to set the world to right. A couple things. I really recognize the that apocalypticism in my own thinking about the problem of evil right like where i basically come to is something like this existence this universe this world is not just certainly if there is true justice if there is lion laying down with the lamb if there is anything like that it does not happen while while we're here it doesn't happen Either it doesn't happen in this universe or it happens in this universe for some creatures like quite a ways down the line that I won't experience while I'm alive and that everybody who's ever lived up till now has not experienced. And so there is – has to be something coming, some kind of good coming that is in some way in God's hands that makes up for basically the injustice now as part of God's plan. So that that sense of the apocalyptic uh, resonates with me now in 2020. The other thing I want to say is that since you took eight minutes to answer the question of what is apocalyptic Judaism, I'm going to answer what Second Temple Judaism is so we can move on here. So first temple is the one Solomon builds, right? It gets destroyed. They go into the Babylonian exile. By the time of, the time of Christ and Paul and everything else, a new temple has been rebuilt, so they have a place to go, offer sacrifices. There's a Holy of Holies for the high priest on Yom Kippur etc. But they are under Roman occupation. So they, they have the temple, but they are an occupied peoples. Right? So it's not the first naivety, right? It's not the original autonomous Jewish state, basically. So they, they're grateful, but they also recognize how imperfect it is and that they don't really hold the strings of power. Right? So that's what is important mm-hmm. about Second Temple Judaism. So just wrap us up on this first question. Why attach Christ to Jesus or anointed one, as you've been saying?
1: Yeah, so if we look in the Gospels themselves and then the earliest letters of Paul, they all call Jesus the Christ. What they mean by it is what's contested. And I think this is just important for a lot of of people when they read the Gospels and you wrestle with who Jesus is, they want to run around and get you to agree with them, right? Like, uh, is he liar, lunatic, or Lord kind of thing? Right? But the question of the Gospels is really about discipleship. Everyone knows he's the Christ, even the demons do, and the disciples do. They just don't know what it means. Hmm. And so they have this apocalyptic desire. Obviously, Rome's going out, so we should probably get swords. They're expecting the apocalyptic explosion to have this clear, violent interruption and break where there is the old age and the new age. and the new age, God fixed it. And what Paul talks about when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus being the first fruits, that Jesus Christ is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. He makes God the world's future present, but it's not done by violent power. God's strength is what? Weakness. God's wisdom is what? Foolishness. And this subversive, overthrowing, undertunning from the underside of history solution was one that came before the foundations of the earth. So you see this apocalyptic vocation that they're they're identifying Jesus with after the resurrection. They go, uh, "Okay, so he didn't set everything to right. Right. Not um, the way we had the way we were expecting it. And in fact, a few years later, the temple's destroyed. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming on earth as is in heaven, the kingdom of God, this apocalyptic language, the center of his speech. We identified him as a Christ the few big scenes about what the Christ means and the synoptics are Peter's confession. So Jesus says, who do they say I am? Right. You're John the Baptist come back cause he'd lost his head or Elijah or whatever. Um, today you might say you're a wondering cynic sage. If you're from the Jesus seminar or what, you know, like historians can talk about who Jesus is, And then Jesus asks the question, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ son of the living God you're the anointed one son of the living god and he doesn't say congratulations the that 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 verdict was demanded by all the bible verses i was fulfilling things <laughs> he says my heavenly father has revealed this to you uh the same type of thing happens right like on the mount of transfiguration elijah the prophets and moses show up so you have the law and the prophets there jesus and they're like oh this is going to be awesome and the first thing jesus says to them walking down the hill is like we're going to jerusalem peter's like what are you talking about they're going to kill you there Right. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right. So he had the title, right? You're the Christ. He had the content wrong. So when we call Jesus the Christ, we it is a title that's been correct, even in the disciples' mouths, but we never knew what it meant. So when the church came later to talk about the cosmic Christ, right, we're saying whatever this individual historically embodied person was the anointed one. And it revealed to us What the God who has always been investing God's self in the world in faithful relationships, desiring faithfulness from the people of Israel and on, right? Like to reveal who God is. We're saying that the faithfulness of this one was fully faithful to God. Right. And he revealed to us not just what it means to be human, but who God is. So when Christians say Jesus Christ or he's fully God and fully man, you're saying that. God's investment in the world, in the context of relationships and the covenantal relationship with history, and through the relationship with the disciples and through the person of Jesus, Jesus' full faithfulness to God means that in his life he is imaging or making flesh the the mind, desire, nature of God. And so as we came to understand more about who Jesus is, then our our like it's like our center pole is the actual Word of God the person Jesus but we've continued to expand it when our encounters with our neighbors in the world and truth means we discover more truth but it has to cohere with like the center yeah
0: I think you're so but now John I think Copp you're getting, says
1: something like
0: uh, if Christ is a the center there are no boundaries right I think you're getting so I think you're going a little ahead of us here so I love that but let's I, as often happens with you trip you get Spinning your yarn in a beautiful way. But I want to just sort of notice that you've already sort of answered the second question, which is why the cosmic Christ? Why not just Christ, right? So if Christ initially means anointed one, but in most cases, in in all previous cases of anointed ones in the story of Israel, they were for a time, for a place, for a particular series of events. When Christ comes, when Jesus comes, it's like, well— He's anointed, but it isn't for a particular thing, a particular time and a place. Uh, Well, of course, it is for the death and resurrection and the incarnation, but then it also reverberates out much wider than David or any of these particular judges who led Israel, right? So it's like it is the type of Christ, if you want to say it, the type of anointing is a cosmic anointing. It is a larger anointing that reaches further, reverberates further. And insofar as we want to say that Jesus is the, embodying the second person of the Trinity, it's like connected to the source. So mm-hmm. that's what makes it cosmic. Is is that right? Yeah. So the, the two
1: things like I think that would be important to add is when was Jesus anointed is an, a question. The New Testament answers different ways. In Romans, Paul says, uh, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit through the resurrection. In the Gospel
0: of Mark, he's anointed at his baptism. At his baptism, right. Yep. And talked about this with uh if people want to go back with Dale Martin on the four divergent Jesuses of the Gospels. Oh yeah, yeah. That episode. was a great – Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in the Matthew and Luke, they're different, but he's anointed, you know, at womb, virgin conception, all that kind of stuff. Uh gospel of John though. He's newest. anointed at
0: the first moment of creation, right?
1: Yeah. And so part of that really comes from the fact that Christians were monotheists. How are you a monotheist and the anointed one who brings in God's new creation that only God could do was a homeless first century Jew that was executed by the empire? Yeah, an individual person, basically. Yeah. Jesus continued to mediate the presence of God to the early church. And so they didn't know how to talk about God without talking about Christ. Their center of their life was communion and baptism into the body of Christ. So Christ in the early church was never just the person. It always had this, the body of Christ, like that we baptize into. And Paul said, Christ is, have the same mind that's in Christ. Let the same mind that's in you be, that was in Christ Jesus, be in you. It's a bit in Philippians two, that Christ from the moment of the resurrection became something you participated in through the life of the spirit. When you talk about the Christ, the character of it is, is definitively established in the person of Jesus, but it was always bigger. If you're a monotheist, cause you you're like, no, 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 we're inheriting Jerusalem, the people of Israel. That's our, t- that's our people. That's the God we're talking about, except he raised Jesus from the dead. And they're like, I know plenty of Jews. They think you're crazy. And then they're like, well, well, we, do you have one God? I, yeah, well, of course we do. Well, then who's this? Well, it's his son. Was well, he a God? Yeah. <laughs> but how many do you have now? There's still yeah, just one. There's still just you know, one, right? That's see, the Trinity,
0: so, right? Yeah.
1: Right. You can see the where the Trinity comes from. But right. I, I say all that because then John, in the Gospel of John, you pick up uh, some of the imagery in wisdom literature where the wisdom of God is yeah. described in wisdom literature as – Separate from the divine, like it's the wisdom of God, not God, but it's yeah. also God, so John uh, wisdom is together. a character, yeah, and so in the yeah. Gospel of John it you hear the logos, the logos and so yeah. the logos is God it's with God, all things come into being through the logos, and then it says in the logos was made flesh, so right. the cosmic Christ if you then the anointing we encountered in this person, he is the making sarks of the Logos, which is the wisdom of God that has been generative of all goodness, life, and light, as the prologue describes. So, what is the source of all existence? What is the source of love and light and life in the whole thing up to this moment? It was the Logos, the Word of God, working. Right. And and what is it we say about Jesus? That word that's been there the whole time that is God. It became sarks material. Flesh, flesh in jesus
0: yeah yeah
1: right and it's important that the sarks is not uh it's flesh it just means material things it doesn't mean a human body interesting so the G, the incarnation becoming sarks is the word eternal the generative principle of all existence that has been working throughout all of history it became flesh in the person of jesus and so that cosmic story gets attached to the early theological reflections about who Jesus is. He's Jesus Christ. Then it becomes the Christ is a cosmic story. Uh, One of the most important reasons they needed to do that is because they needed to remain monotheist,
0: Right, because they're thoroughly monotheistic, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I want to anticipate our definition a little early and say, specifically if a conservative family member or conservative friend asks you, what do you mean by the cosmic Christ? one answer you can give, I just mean John one one, the logos. That's what it means. It means that Christ is there from the beginning at the first moment of creation. Boom. Now that's not really the kind of definition people are wanting from an episode of this podcast, but that's a good place to start, first of all. And it's certainly something you can say to diffuse some of that Oh, their their hackles are going up because I don't know about Richard Rohr. I've heard he's kind of Eastern and he doesn't, you know, believe the Bible. Whatever people may have heard about these these kind of terminology, you could just say, I just mean John one one. I just mean in the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God and the logos was God. Through him, all things were made on heaven and earth. Boom. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: The beginning of Ephesians and Colossians both have these hymns yeah, that the Christ are hymn. yeah. Christ hymns. Um, like the one in Colossians goes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, for in him, all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then it goes on to say, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself. Like in that imagery, there's a couple parts that pop out I think they are really helpful. When it says, like, Jesus here is the image of the invisible God, that's a real poetic way of saying, um, like, what was God's desire? To invest in a covenantal relationship with people so that their faithfulness reveals God's faithfulness to the world. And in doing so, creates a community where people can encounter God as the one who made them, knows them, and loves them. Right. Like in Mm. when you receive and act out the blessing of God, you create a community where others are blessed. And the hymn there goes, um, the image of the invisible God. What does God look like? It was pleased to dwell in this particular person who is the source of all things, but it was in Jesus that the fullness of it came to dwell. And right. if you pay attention, uh, it, I've, this is the contact point I've had when talking to some of my more conservative evangelical friends. I say, you know, you point out those passages, but the trick is what made Jesus unique and particular and revelatory, and why I worship as a Christian, my experience of God mediated by Jesus, is because the fullness of God dwelled in him. And it's not because he was sinless, it was because he was fully faithful. We normally describe it. As if like he's nothing like us, right? But that's what made him anointed in this way that you talk about history differently because he was faithful. His full faithfulness meant if you ever want to know when you're struggling in doubt and frustration who God is, I tell you a story. It's the story of Jesus. For in him, he is the image of the invisible God. And what does the invisible God look like imaged? It is a beautiful story that subverts so many of our intuitions and challenges us in all sorts of ways. But if that's the source of the cosmos becoming flesh in Christ, then it really gives us a different intuitions when we go into to encounter other religious spaces, uh, other challenges to truth, and all sorts of things. Because we don't just have a tribal deity and there are other cultural tribes with their centerpieces. We have a story where the invisible one who's desired to love us because that God made us has come to dwell with us by being faithful, but not faithful in domination, but faithful in love. That switch of sin from sinfulness, sinlessness to faithfulness is important. And if you're a Bible nerd, then I would say the biggest image about the faithfulness of God, the Hesed of God in the Hebrew scriptures finds its parallel in the kenosis of Christ his self-giving the
0: outpouring self-giving the outpouring
1: yeah. self-giving and so i would say theologically that the faithfulness of god the hesed of god found its materiality in the kenosis of jesus and that's why we call him the image of the invisible god and the crazy thing is paul doesn't think that fidelity is jesus alone and now we get to go to heaven The faithfulness of God, the mind of Christ is something we're called to participate in and share, that it's a participatory reality. And I think when we make Christ tribal and closed off so we possess him, then it doesn't just mean we say stupid things when we meet beautiful people in other religious (laughs) traditions and then embarrass ourselves trying to witness. It actually means we're saying no to the call of discipleship that's at the very heart of the New Testament. And there's a high likelihood
0: that that hymn, Paul quotes in Philippians 2, is the oldest thing in the right. New Testament. Yeah, right. That's, that's a pretty common assumption or, or knowledge. So before we take a little break, and by the way, before I say this, you have taunted me two or three times now, whether you realize it or not, to bring in Schleiermacher. We'll do it later at the end. But the idea of Christ, like what's going on with Jesus while he's on earth being a function of something about Jesus's openness to the divine at all moments, rather than people having some intuition that someday he's going to die and rise again, right? Like there's something else going on before all of that happens. Mm -hmm. um, But we'll save that. But that's something that I personally has been doing a lot of work for me. Um, And this should come out after my conversation with Catherine Kelsey about that issue, which you recommended her book to me. So thank you. But it strikes me that, there's sort of two answers to what does cosmic Christ mean. There is the answer that we could give sort of on behalf of Paul and the gospel writers or at least the gospel of John, right? So like there's the answer from the early church p- before all the councils and whatever. And then there's the answer because after the break we're going to talk about how has the phrase cosmic changed? How has the concept of Christ changed? right, through science and evolution and also increased pluralism and understanding of other religious traditions and all that stuff, right? So let's give an answer now for what the cosmic Christ meant to Paul, to the author of the Gospel of John, like before all the scientific explosion and everything. Now, there's sort of two answers, right?
1: I would say the person in the early in the early part of the church who shows, I think, the... Just how far the concept can go. Someone like Justin Martyr. Uh, Where did he live? Second century, I believe. Okay. And he was one of the first to develop a Logos Christology. And he is, you know, a Christian who's engaging intellectuals in the public square. And he says the Logos of God that became flesh in Jesus. But you also have Logoi spermaticos, and it means exactly what your middle school self is thinking. You have like the word of God made flesh, but you also have like just little sperms of the word. And he said the very source which all things come. It's not like you're walking around in darkness and don't get anything right. And so he gives these things where he talks about how the word that came embodied in Jesus. But he's like, I have my Jewish friends. They read the Bible. They don't automatically think Jesus is the Messiah. So, But that doesn't mean they were completely wrong. Right. So there were seeds of the word in Moses and in the Torah and the prophets and the wisdom. And he's like, you know what else? I'm into Plato. Plato
0: had encountered the word, you know, and with no access to the Israelites and living long before Christ. Right. Yeah. And one of the popular texts that gets used in the early church preaching
1: is actually Jonah, because in Jonah, you have. Uh, Nineveh, who's, if you read the Hebrew Bible, a very famous enemy of Israel. They're the capital city of Assyria, did horrible things. Right. And they repent and reconcile to God. And Jonah doesn't even use a Jewish name for God in the whole thing. Well, he does when he's complaining to God. But when he talks to the sailors who convert and to all of Nineveh repenting, he won't even use God's name because he hopes the address doesn't – like it doesn't get there. And God (laughs) hears him and responds, and you get these reflections that there was a battle in the scriptures themselves of we are the covenant people who are special. And yet God's just sitting around waiting to redeem and connect with anybody, even the capital city of the worst country, which is why D.C. is optimistic. You know, Um, things could – you never know. You never know. Nineveh made all the cows repent. And so so I say that just to go in the early church, once they, the very first generations where you had a conscious self understanding of yourselves as Christians, that Jesus has not returned yet. There's no more temple. And now you're figuring out what it's like to be a religion among others in a, an empire that's diverse. They immediately said things like, hey, wherever truth shows up, and it's shown up in the past, and it's shown up in Jesus, like, they're they're all connected to the word that was incarnate in Christ. Right. And guess who they got that from? Jewish philosophers. Yeah. Way before there was a Jesus, there were already Jewish philosophers that had said the Sophia, the wisdom of God, was just like that. And so someone like Philo is like, look, y'all are sitting here trying to decide whether Roman Empire likes the, the Jewish people. Yeah, Philo, Vil-
0: Alexandria, uh... Contemporary of Paul's and whatnot, Jewish philosopher, yeah.
1: Yeah, so they're like, if you've read Plato, you know what I'm talking about. Moses and Plato, they're like tag team partners for awesome. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the Christians had to just say something about Jesus and that makes no sense. Even Jewish people with their texts who didn't identify Jesus as the Christ recognized
0: that the wisdom of God was not just their possession. Right, or Paul at the Acropolis Acropolis saying – the unknown God. Let me tell you, I think I found that guy, right? And and it actually – it puts me in mind of a episode from late 2019 of this show, The Cave episode, uh, where I actually talk with Patrick McDonald, who's a mm-hmm. Catholic philosopher, about like how much he thinks Plato knew about God that shows up in Plato's philosophy with no access to Judaism and no access to Christianity because he predates it by 350 years, right? So that's really interesting. And that's kind of what we're talking about It's like, so even I guess this is a good way to wrap it before the break, even before modern geography, geopolitics, the information age where we have access uh, to where anybody can just log online and learn about all the world's religions, long before any of that, early Christian thinkers were aware that there was a diversity of of life experiences, a diversity of ways of thinking about truth, capital T. And they said, okay, whatever all that truth is, it became instantiated in Jesus of Nazareth in a particular, specific, and special, and kind of complete way. But that does not mean that we are the one tribe to be favored among everybody else, and they're all full of shit. Rather, it means, how lucky are we to have had direct contact with this thing or our grandparents did or something, you know, but whoever's living whatever year we're talking about. Right. Uh, But that principle, whatever is true in Christ is true in God. And if there's only one God, then all things that are true are true in that similar way. And so what's cosmic about Christ, the anointed one is that it is like Christ is related to all truth. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I mean, the reason we use the phrase like the
1: word of God, you know, it it had two different meanings in the early church. Well, the early church picking up two different meanings. One, the more philosophical definition means something like the principle of reason. uh, Right. The 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 logic. You look at the world and somehow it works Um, well. The Here, here's why philosophers basically. are like, yeah. this is the, if, if you say logic with a capital L or the reason the the word, right. And then in scripture, the word of God is the activity in which something other than God is generated. So uh, in the beginning, what did God speaks creation? And then we call Jesus the son. And so the church, when they're working out the Trinity says that he is eternally generated from the father. Why? Because you can't have God the Father without a son, or you're not a father. And so, in order for God to have a son, God has to always be a father. So, this is an eternal generation with God from God in God's self. It's always already in relationship because God is father and son. And the bounding of that yeah. relationship is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the spirit of love oh, that. Right.
0: Right. Like earlier, I was trying to give like an almost snarky answer to someone about cosmic Christ by saying, it's just John 1, one, But another way you could give a snarky answer is, what do you mean by cosmic Christ? I just mean the Trinity, full stop, right? Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes the Trinity gets
1: used as a test case for whether or not your language is truly Christian. Right. Um, and that's, that's bothersome. But if the Trinity is how language about God works, especially in a Greek philosophical context, right? if the actual life of Jesus is the image of the invisible God— then you keep doing philosophy because you have to keep telling that story, right? And I think it's important to get that for the early church, it was the life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus, which is the word of God. And we told stories about it. And every time you got together, you practiced what? The Eucharist. You were baptized into what? The body of Christ. Once you get so far away, all of a sudden we have the Bible and we have creeds. And then you miss the fact The reason we wrote anything down and thought it was important and the reason we thought it was important to argue using philosophy for 400 years to come up with the freaking creeds is because our experience and encounter with God is always mediated by Jesus. And the one we've encountered in Jesus is the one good God of all creation. And that God has not left us. We participate in that life now through the spirit. So then how are you going to talk about God? It's going to be something like the Trinity. Sometimes I feel like Christians get so scared about the viability of the truth they proclaim. They're more obsessed with like defending the exterior rather than drinking what's in it, right? Like, or my church history professor, when I was an undergrad, I remember one time he's like obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. And he says, sometimes I think evangelicals uh, are so pumped that Bruce Springsteen's limo just pulled up at their house. He gets out, goes inside, puts on a private concert. And the whole time you're sitting out going, that is the authorized version of the boss's limo. <laughs> like he is in that, and he's on any other car, and I'm not going to let anyone mess with it. And like inside, you, you have he's, he's playing the, a show. He's playing, and you're, you're missing like, it. Yeah, but he's in there, and and so like part of the cosmic Christ for me is like Christ needs to be that big because I encounter life and truth and love in all sorts of places, and when I do, right. if you ask me to describe it as fully as possible. It will include me telling you that the most beautiful thing I've had at any point in my life is sitting there not knowing what's going on to make sense of anything and thinking Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I said, if there's anything that might be true, it has to be one that recognizes not just that we're forgiven and Abba and all that kind of stuff. It's that we don't know what we're doing. And I remember that moment where that text meant something in this whole different way, and it changed the way I exist in the world. When I was a campus minister, I would hike. I'm going to take college groups out, hike. And when you're sitting after walking 20 miles, realizing that you mostly played video games the last three weeks and your legs hurt, but you're like 20, so you're (laughs) going to pretend you're cool. Yeah, you'll be fine. And you – and you, everyone gets out their pipe to talk about J.R. Tolkien or whatever. But like when you're sitting there exhausted with a group of people and they finally the dumb jokes and BSing ends. And then you have that hour and a half where you are facilitating 18 to 20-year-olds finally being honest and saying who they really think they are to the first time. And everyone knows that the most true thing about those people is they're God's beloved because you didn't screw up in your little setting the stage. And now people say things and no one flinches and they hug each other. Dudes hugged each other and they cried and you're sitting on the stars and then they're like, wow, this is so beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, those have been around for a long time. but right? Like in cosmic Christ, makes perfect sense of why yeah. that's well, you
0: it's beautiful, but you're stepping on the next section trip and I'm okay. trying to divide it up in a way that you never seem to be able to do on your show. No offense. This is the difference between us as good friends. Uh, But no, you're talking about transcendence. And I have just like 10 different thoughts on what you just said. But we got to take a break. I have to use the bathroom. Uh, That Manhattan went through me and I need to grab a beer. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what you're already hinting at when you mentioned the stars. In what ways have the words cosmic and Christ changed since they were originally penned? 2,000 years ago, Ooh. you get another Tenant's Lager, the Budweiser of Scotland.
1: That's so much better than Budweiser. It
0: is actually. I, I love, I told you this the other day, I texted you, though. if I were to move to Scotland, as you have done, the beer would be the number one perk for me. I love UK beer. I'm unapologetic about it, and it's very hard to find it here in the States. But I'm going to have to settle for a hazy IPA because I'm in Seattle. That sounds about right. Yes. Okay, so we'll be back to keep going. So this week, our patron-exclusive episode is actually more conversation with Trip Fuller. But instead of talking about the cosmic Christ, we're talking about this idea that came up in the recent episode titled Liberal Christianity's Origin Story. It's the way that Friedrich Schleiermacher, uh, the 18th and 19th century German theologian thought about the way in which Jesus was connected to God with basically an unbroken state of what he called god consciousness. This god consciousness is something that is available to us but not in the unbroken way that it was available to Jesus of Nazareth. So, if you're a patron, I hope you'll enjoy that conversation with Tripp. If you'd like to become one, it's $5 a month, patreon.com/dancoke or you have permission pod.com and click become a patron. Uh I'm not gonna really I'm not gonna like make a pitch about supporting artists or independent content creators in the time of coronavirus. It's not any different for me than normal time. But if you'd like at least two uh exclusive episodes per month and access to the patron only Facebook group, that's the way to do it. And if that money is not available to you right now, we do have a sliding scale, shoot me an email, you have permission podcast at gmail.com. Alright. Back to the rest of this conversation with Trip. All right, Trip, we're back. You've got your tenants. I've got my uh, Georgetown Bodhisattva IPA mm. and, uh, you know, keeping it local. Aluminum can, better for the environment. I've mentioned a couple times that I really want to get into Schleiermacher and this idea of really conscious experience and Christ's conscious experience of God being in some sense like perfect as opposed to our own and you've just agreed to continue recording with me after this and we can do that that'll be for patrons only so that's where we're going to we're going to get that itch scratched and that may <laughs> actually end up coming out before this episode comes out that's the way that podcast time works so for now we're not i'm going to table all the things I've wanted to say about consciousness and personal experience and all that, and we're going to stick with Cosmic Christ. So before we get into, though, these two questions, how has the phrase cosmic changed over time and how has the concept of Christ changed, can we try and give people a one-sentence definition of the Cosmic Christ? Can we try? Can you do it? Yeah. The Cosmic Christ
1: is an affirmation – of a christian or of a disciple that that which was present and active in the person of jesus is the fullest experiential revelation of the cosmic principle that is both determinative of form or
0: possibilities and generative okay do it again without the philosophy language of the second half of the sentence Give okay. me one that people could actually repeat to a lay person and that they could understand. Uh the
1: cosmic Christ is a confession Christians make about the historical person of Jesus not just being the word of God in flesh yeah. in that moment, but God's revelatory and creating word in each moment. There we go.
0: Okay. And that's, we might say in like
1: each minister. In
0: Answering each moment right and for all of God's creatures, right? Is that's part of it. Such that it's truly – it's all of creation. Any creature that has the cognitive or whatever capacity to be in relationship to God in some way, it accounts for them too, right? That's the, that's the rub. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's why I, I was emphasizing
1: in the Gospel of John, it's sark's not soma. So it's flesh, like materiality, yeah, it's not materiality, human not body.
0: human bodies. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But this is just, just you know, it does definitely set up for thinking differently about consciousness and non-human right. life and value. Yeah. Right. But it's also shouldn't be surprising because God said at the end of every day it was good. <laughs> Right, and the Ark did not just have people on it because they were hungry. had animals, right they had animals like yeah, so the human beings have taken themselves out of nature and then think of it as something else, but I would say yeah, that's not like a Christian thing, it's a language thing, like there's well, that's a actually reason, like the difference between a pet and dinner is your culture, and because Christians today live in this late modern capitalist culture that has commodified all things outside of the human right. Right. And then markets it to them. Then we've kind of lost the affirmation God gives all creation.
0: Yeah. So we are really likely to interpret uh, become flesh as become homo sapien because of our cultural time and place, whereas other people, especially people in the Eastern traditions, would be very unlikely to interpret something that way, for instance. Now, there's issues with like not stepping on ants, but killing countless amoebas. I mean, whatever. There are there are problems there. But from their perspective, they would not assume it's just humanity because they have a much cleaner gradient between life forms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cosmic
1: in there, the, the Sark's not some. The other big thing is it's all not some, right? When we read the Colossians passage, when we read the – when you think of the John passage, it's all. God made all things through the word, and then all things are being redeemed, right? So cosmic Christ – is an affirmation that what was at work in Jesus is not just at work in Jesus. The character and nature of God's work is revealed in Jesus, but God's work is for all things, and it's not complete until all have been reconciled. So uh, a cosmic Christ insists that uh, that Jesus can't be part of a tribal
0: religion. Okay, this is really interesting. So you were talking earlier uh, in those first couple of questions about basically the apocalyptic expectation of Jews around the time of of Christ and around the time of Jesus, I need to be careful <laughs> got to be careful here in this conversation around the time of Jesus and them looking forward to the future right uh such that um, things will be made well. The apocalyptic language we get in the New Testament often in Paul is like Christ will be all in all, right? Stuff like that. So there is this expectation of I, this is the this is the future eschaton, that's the it's the good end of all things that God will bring about. This is the hope of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um and this is a just like a I don't know, it's like a node for me in my own theology. It's like um, it's like a bit that I keep coming back to, you know, as my thoughts circulate so to speak it's like a lymph node because it is as i mentioned earlier it it is the mechanism by which the injustice of this world if it ever gets made right is made right Mm -hmm. and so all things coming under christ under god is this gorgeous and beautiful possibility promise claim I, i don't know something like that um, yes. But it's also like not clear that it's gonna happen. If I'm honest, you know what I mean. So I'm just kind of I just want to sit on that a little bit and hear what you have to say. Okay, so three things pop up. First, the not clear it's gonna happen are not clear
1: has to be significantly small or smaller than the not clear Jesus had when he was being crucified. You know what I mean? <laughs> like <laughs>
0: yes. Jesus. Well, yeah, and I, yes. I, I just think this is important. Right.
1: So Jesus said. You know he called God Abba, right so he's receiving this uh, the the language and symbols used for God in Hebrew scriptures you you get you can clump them different ways, but w- one way is saying you have these parental loving parent images, you have uh, God as lawgiver right and then you have like king type things um, and Jesus kind of prioritizes the loving parent images. Uh, or like a loving chicken or, you know, mother chicken or what anyway, he does a number of different parent images and then uses that to interpret the others. So he is proclaiming a God. So like the lawgiver judge person, you're not showing up for capital crimes. You're showing up to be adopted, right? That's the image you see in the new Testament. You're adopted. and It's not your murder trial. And then like the King image is not like the King. So get under me. It's the one who calls you friends or you're a child of God and this type of thing. Right, So Jesus is receiving a tradition, and he's interpreting it, and he's expanding it and pushing it in different ways, just like any person does, except we're watching how the Word of God in flesh reads and inherits the Jewish tradition. Uh, This is one of the reasons that Didache calls Jesus the fruit of the vine of David right? Like Jesus doesn't come in a vacuum. He's not like this invasion. He actually comes because he's inheriting the faithfulness of Israel. And it's
0: only through inheriting that, that then this new depth of fidelity becomes possible. That's beautiful. And that really relates to kind of a more process tinged way that I think about the development of religious traditions on Mm -hmm. the ground by faithful people, even if you know the buddha like let's just let's just posit that the buddha did not have 100% receptivity to god in the way that jesus of nazareth did but enough that like it really made an impact about around the people who were near him right such that a religion developed basically or maybe some people don't consider it a religion but you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. that like this thing happens there are these people who are transparent to god through through them you see god in some sense and then, like, the natural thing for people to do is to go, okay, something has happened here, which we see with Buddha's early followers and we see with the disciples and the early Christians. Um, but the point that you made that connects is, like, for for the Buddha, it's Hinduism, right? It's It's the inherited scriptures of the Hindu tradition. And then he takes that and, like, he experiences them differently with his connection with, I believe, with the divine in some way. Mm-hmm. Jesus – has taken in the Jewish tradition. He's a rabbi. He's gone to rabbinical school in some fashion. So he's had this like proper religious training in this particular context, and then God shows up to him. Now, as a Christian, I have claims about Jesus that I don't have about Buddha, but it's interesting to think about how the transmission of God's truth through a person on earth, um, it might be that the, the Buddha is like a softer version or something like that, of what happens in Jesus. But it's it's interesting to think about there might be something related about those two instances. Am I making mm-hmm. sense?
1: Yeah. So there's like four different ways of responding to that. But I want to answer the how the church modified apocalyptic stuff first because the, that question is, I think, really, really important. I just want to pause like when you were talking about the all and how like in light of evil and suffering – and I, w- I was saying, like Jesus was probably wondering because Abba is this beautiful affirmation of a God, and then he's fully faithful. And what happens? He gets axed, right? And so, if there is no resurrection, Jesus was a failure, and he was wrong. It doesn't mean it's not beautiful. It's like this is the, the argument that you know is going forth. Like the resurrection is not uh, secondary, and I think that's why life, ministry, death, resurrection all form the charisma of the gospel and that's because who was raised all are a part of that event. And if God is as good as Jesus said God was, you don't have lives snuffed out who were faithful to the call of love for no reason. And there's so many experiences. I have met people who towards the end of their life, they've had a full life, they've loved it, they've learned and grown, and they don't think there's anything they need from god and would say like afterlife if that's real it's dessert but there are so many lives that have been cut short have suffered been formed and exactly. never developed because of harm. Yes, exactly the question about afterlife or eschatology or it's new creation it's not about you know getting in or out it's right. about if God is as good as Jesus said God was. And, I, and that's why I said at the very beginning, when we talk about the anointed one, we're right. talking about the one who's acting on behalf of the one good God of all creation, and yet history doesn't show it. So the right. resurrection of the dead was an apocalyptic Jewish image that then gets modified because the expectation was there would be one big resurrection. The resurrection of the dead is how God sets things to right. God goes, you get new life in a new world. And the only one it happened to initially was Jesus. And so the church was like, this is the first fruits. Why? Because if he's the only one that ever gets
0: raised, God's still an asshole. Yeah, God's not you good. Know, right, exactly. The,
1: and yeah. so it's the question is the goodness of God. And right. if we believe Jesus reveals who God is, then it's as good as that God. That's why I I consistently, you know, say like and i mean it snarky but also on, this is like minimal viable statements for me to be christian is god has to at least be as nice as jesus and so many people <laughs> are christians and their god isn't even as nice as jesus right and i don't i don't see the early church affirming these things
0: right um yeah, arbitrarily
1: sure. they're saying that jesus wasn't lying when he said You know, let the little children come of me. The last shall be made first, all these type of stuff. Right. Um, Okay. So the other, the one other thing I want to say about the apocalyptic thing is that then the event of the resurrection, the first fruits, uh, becomes a hermeneutical situation for understanding history. So God has given God's self to the world all the way to the cross. And God did so through a human. We participate in it. By hermeneutical, you
0: mean basically a lens through which to view the world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So when you're sitting in history and in life and you're trying to make meaning of a story and no life, no story, you really understand until it's ended. Right. So the resurrection of Jesus is a revelation of the world's future. So it gives you a space as – and I'm not saying I can do this all the time. I'm just saying theologically. Right. Yeah. If you uh, could feel this
0: confident. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so –
1: Well, it's like John
0: Hott who was on – the episode is called uh, Looking for God in the Future, Not the Past. But Mm -hmm. talking about how a story's meaning is not clear until the story ends and something that we ought to recognize about living when we live now is that we are in the middle of a story. If indeed there's a story in the universe, we're not at the end of it, and we ought to have a certain kind of intellectual humility about that, right? Yeah. In
1: Greek theater, uh, the chorus, the big group of people that come out and say things randomly. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. They're, they're kind of like a group narrator. Yeah. Yeah. In classical Greek theater, they in the middle of the play, they tell you the end. And it's called the (laughs) proleptic moment. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, why Paul says all this stuff about the resurrection and why the gospel stories, primarily all of them, half of at least all the gospels is about the passion and the passion week. Right. Yeah. And that's because if you're sitting in history, history is testifying against God. We see it. It's not hard.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so. a previous episode is me talking with Phil Clayton. It's called Mm -hmm. wrapping our faith in doubt. It's sort of like the only faith worth taking seriously is one that takes all the evidence against a good God while we're living seriously that otherwise we just have like a kind of a banal self-congratulatory. I don't know. It's like reality TV making us feel good in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's not worthy of being called faith. If it doesn't truly recognize all the horse shit and the fact that it's not clear that this world mm-hmm. is run by a good God in every moment, you know, or maybe in most yeah. moments.
1: No, I, yeah, I think that's really important. And I just generally agree with Phil. That's why, Pretty, I, that's why I, I know that's a,
0: <laughs> I can always get points with you by just <laughs> mentioning something that Phil Clayton said. Yeah. The other thing I would say about this and why I think Cosmic Crisis is really helpful for people in
1: transition is. Realize how many of the reasons other people have left evangelicalism, those questions are not only acknowledged, but we're saying, uh, I'm only going to be Christian if ultimately the answer is still good news. So many post-evangelicals stay spiritual and have this deflated version of theology and God and stuff. And I, I don't think they realize when they're picking like, to keep parts of Christianity or not, like at some point, you know, you should just switch teams or whatever. I don't know, like the nice way of saying it. You would probably say that was. I don't mean it that way, and I'm pro- <laughs> and I'm pretty sure most Christians may not think I do, but I would say it this way: I would stop identifying as a Christian if I did not have faith that God was revealed in Christ, and that the future of the cross-dead Jesus is the future of all those whose lives were cut short and lived in injustice
0: and in suffering what does it mean i don't, to, yeah right but, but, but in, what does in, it mean CD, to have faith in like like i would say I hope in it i hope that's true the god that i experience today gives me evidence that that's true oh i, uh, and, I think it's know, something like give yourself to yeah right okay good yeah, I'm, and yeah I'm like, I'm faith, in. like I'm in. Have faith in yeah 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 and, yeah yeah and good and i as like, opposed to like probabilistically true or something like that right Oh, which is that, how I was so unfortunately raised to think about belief and you know all that Okay, stuff. I'll i I'll put this like my like I'm like
1: this is trip post going super postmodern. So I have like my adjacent possible trip is a uh like very post structuralist type of person. Adjacent like that, possible trip?
0: What is yeah, that? You know mean? where the there are if I got to a place Okay, there's a there's a Possible trip that could exist given certain circumstances.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that like trip would if, be if I did not think I had integrity in making these minimal Christian confessions, <laughs> and at least in, and yeah. in didn't want to give myself to a community that sought to live as if they're true, then I I would like go to this other version, which I find has full integrity and is a perfectly good human life, right? So this isn't like a, I know some people here when I get real specific and I'm like, well, why are you even using the word God anymore? Or why say Christian? It's not a judgment of you and what your life could contain. I just think the cosmic Christ is necessary if you're going to be have intellectual integrity and acknowledge all the questions and doubts we have
0: today. Like you can't have tribal Jesus anymore. It just doesn't. It, so it cosmic just doesn't Christ, work. cosmic Christ is non-tribal Jesus. In in one sense, that's the answer to the question oh, yeah, of yeah. what what it is. Okay, so we're gonna do this. We're gonna get through these last two questions that we haven't totally talked about yet. Then we're gonna end this episode, and then you and I are gonna keep recording, and that's gonna be a patron only exclusive episode. So we have these two questions. the The first of them is, how has the phrase cosmic changed since the early Christians and And this one, obviously, we're going to start with cosmology, right? The word from the root from which we get both of those words is cosmos. And uh, the early Christian writers believed in a, I don't know, a tiered universe, you know, uh, basically quite a small world with a a canopy of lights above them. You know, if we had to like spatially, they, they thought that maybe the entire universe was like roughly the size of one half of the earth, something like that. I mean, ish, right? I don't know if anybody has done that math, but something like that or less, right? So now we know our sun is one of billions of stars in our galaxy and that there are billions of such galaxies in the universe, which is expanding still. And we're not even sure that it's the only universe that God has created. So let's start there. How has the phrase cosmic changed? Since the writers like like when Roar uses the word cosmic in 2019 in his book, how is he using that differently than Paul or Philo of Alexandria? or Somebody would have used the phrase then.
1: Yeah. So the dominant picture of the cosmos and you can if you just Google great chain of being, you'll see this picture and it's a nice right. organized triangle. And at the top of it is the triune gun. And then there's nice gradation as it expands down to the base
0: angels humans mm. other animals fish right well
1: it goes yes yeah, puppies then cats <laughs> like it's a it, it's really specific the other thing is that set logic so everything was given given as is it was set it was structured it was established it was eternal in the um
0: from the moment of creation i eternal like it might the, i think it helps here cuz i don't think we're good at this at putting ourselves in the mind of a pre-modern person, but imagine you don't know any—you have no science textbooks, right? You just have your senses and the Bible, or let's just say, like, yeah, and really, someone you, that
1: reads it, because someone that reads it, which
0: you don't, yeah, you don't read it, right? So you've got this account in Genesis, and you go, yeah, all those things are here. I see the fishes and the birds. I see the plants. I see the animals on the land and they're named. Someone named them. I learned the names when I was raised in learned the language I speak, whichever language that was. And you look up. Oh, that's the firmament. There it is. Right. Like if you don't. I mean, we can't even really imagine it because in first grade we learn about Galileo. Right. It's like it is baked in for us that like the stars are forever away, basically, to a kid. And it's this massive universe. We grow up seeing photos of galaxies, right? But they didn't grow up with that stuff. Like, it's really hard to put yourself in that mindset. And I think the thing to get is everyone has
1: internalized. What we think it means to be human is, of course, assumes biology, but it is a cultural thing. The societies we live in. Is something we inherit and it's a product of human minds, our culture, right? Like it's not just our biology. And so when you learn to speak and relate in a culture, you are being given the world interpreted and you don't know it, right? And so it's not like they would have thought. Their world was weird, and we don't think ours is weird. Now technology changes so fast that after you're 30, you do think it's weird when kids know how to do stuff you don't know how to do. That yeah, kind of thing. right. They didn't right? have that. But, but the the I think the biggest features to get, especially when it goes to the kind of questions we asked today, is that it was geocentric and it was anthropocentric. Yep. The so earth, earth, is, earth is, the center. is
0: it, basically, yeah. Humans… Or the and center at the center of the And Earth, we came yeah.
1: out just like we started. Right. And everything is established with a purpose and a place. So it's hmm. not odd. Like if you watch uh, the show The Crown, right, in one queen's reign, you have people that are dead convinced like this is a divine right. Like I don't know why we're trying to cooperate with these people. This is how it's always been. And it's just really awkward to watch, right? And now we have You're like You're saying there one- are
0: people in the royal Families, uh coterie right that are like hey divine right of kings god willed you to be the queen so we don't need to argue with the press right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. things yeah. like that like it's just that's like the uh, very last vestiges of this earlier sort of worldview yeah and now i would just like to which is what makes every... that show interesting because that show yeah. is about those things coming into conflict with each other right 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 Same that as lens
1: is how every american evangelical should watch it is that there's very likely that your kids grow up in a world where they can no longer live in the world you're in, and then you oh, have to shit. ask how to be the good queen.
0: Wow! And trip, so, trip. That's a and it has nothing shell. to do with whether
1: you're royalty.
0: Yeah, it it well, it's a kind of if you want to cast royalty as a kind of privilege, it, it's a participation in a kind of yeah. Cultural oh, I was just royalty, thinking, you know right? how oh the younger brother is saying they want to like in no the longer son. Or in the crown, the redheaded, the recurrent <laughs> prince. Oh, yeah. Him and Megan are going to exempt themselves. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm talking about. Which, right. If you live
1: in the UK, you don't you get to have opinions about that. Um, and if you are not actually from the UK, you get to listen to people have opinions about it.
0: I've seen plenty of Americans who have opinions about it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I just hope they don't think that. uh uh, passing stuff down to families is a good idea anymore. I think we're we we did it with with Bush and Clinton. No one needs to do it with a Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but,
0: in but that I sense, just, may we carry the spirit of Megan Merkel forward? Did I say her name yeah. right? I don't even know. If I that's think right. that's okay. correct. Okay, go ahead. But so I just say that, like, because I think okay, you're studying
1: psychology. How right. much easier is it? For humans to have the things they need and not think the world has to change and get fixed. If you're born into a place where you have a place, you have a purpose. Things aren't supposed to change.
0: Yeah, and there's right.
1: dignity to ha- value
0: just owning the space you're in. Oh, uh, it's. I mean, it's. It's almost like every human's default preferred state. If they knew that they could prefer it, would be that it would make life psychologically much easier to live. Yeah,
1: and so when the cosmic. Christ emerges. Then the question they're trying to answer is in this little bitty scale, like if you have this giant pyramid, the line in the middle where humans are between the other mm-hmm. living things and non living things and angels and God, yeah. like how this one person relates to the source and all these other people that are here. And so that Moses and Plato get brought in, right? Yeah, and and that kind of thing uh, is is this expansive move. But it's expanding to include just the scale of life that the people knew. And so when we talk about how things have shifted, you know, the dominant vision of cosmology now is uh, you have a quantum fluctuation in the vacuum, Big Bang style. And there's 13.8 billion years story up to this point. Right. And they can all go listen to the John Hott episode to have it play. Yeah, out we talk about that a bit more. beautiful, yeah. But then how do you understand the cosmic christ when the cosmos is now so much bigger right the the the,
0: the size is bigger and the duration yeah. the time is so much bigger so in one sense it's better <laughs> and in one sense it's harder right so it's better in that i want like if i'm waking up in 2020 as an adult i'm crawling out of the cave so waking up in that sense right and going, I want to make sure that my faith is not small and tribalistic. In that sense, which is what we've been talking about, right? Then to recognize that the cosmos is bigger, it, it helps me with my faith. Hey, I do have a cosmic Christ. Okay, it's not so silly. I'm not saying that like Baal is the one God, you know, Baal. <laughs> like whatever Baal cared about, the how the Assyrians did X, I don't... I don't know if Baal was the Syrians. You know what I'm saying? Something, something word, that is like God. tragically small, right? Compared to yeah. like what we know has happened since then. It's beautiful to go, oh, it is cosmic, right? So in that sense, it's comforting. In the other sense, it's like, yeah, but it's so big. Like, can I actually conceive of and contain in my mind something true about whatever it is that's true for all of that? So mm-hmm. it's both comforting and anxiety producing, I find.
1: Yeah. um, Now I'm going to say something we should not have a detour on because you've talked about on other episodes and we can come back and talk about it. That's fine. But a cosmic Christ that is acknowledges contemporary cosmology gives you a context for understanding or, or a way of theologically interpreting and engaging a number of the big gaps that you have, if you're trying to answer these questions, just using science alone, um, hmm. namely uh, the origin of our space-time, the emergence of life, the question of consciousness, yeah, and uh, the reality of beauty and goodness. Uh, those four things are, you know, sometimes they get called mysterians, right? Like in, in contemporary philosophy. And such, but what a cosmic Christ is saying is that the objective world, understood and interpreted and engaged scientifically, um, also has an inside story. Like if I'm using language John Hott did previously on the podcast, yeah the
0: interior the interior story, what it's like to be in the story, yeah, right. And um, and that
1: if the story all of a sudden just got really longer before it got to the place where the point is revealed. If you're a Christian, right, you would say to yourself, what in our tradition gives us language or images to think through a story getting longer than you anticipated. And there's a couple of them. One is the delay of the parousia in the early church. And the other is um, that God chose to invest in a history of a people. Right. And so if you think as a Christian, that the image of the invisible God is seen in the perfect faithfulness of Jesus to the call of God at each moment. And that's only made possible by got the ongoing relationship with the history of Israel, then the fact that the scale got bigger, what you then you're going to look and say, is the story leading up to Jesus that just got longer? Is there a way of seeing it as the generative and creative fruit of the principle of reason of the cosmos? And if you did, what would you say? You would say something like, in each context, God invests in whatever way it can receive novelty and order for the benefit of creating greater expanding relationships and possibilities. Like so crazy, like, I don't know, very quickly after the first few seconds of quantum instability, constants emerge that today are so consistent – they enabled two or three generations of stars to die and explode and form a periodic table. Right. That then enabled
0: a cooling mediocre star to have a context where these type of things go. Now yeah. You right. can. You can. That's not also change. an episode that you haven't heard yet that's been recorded with David Wilkinson, our mutual oh, yeah, yeah. friend, about the anthropic principle, the Goldilocks enigma, and all this, all this incredibly unlikely stuff that had to happen for conscious beings to evolve and, right and i'm and
1: i that's why i want to go back to the adjacent possible trip because you and i have friends who we could all agree on the science one way of interpreting the science if the revela- if jesus's life ministry death and resurrection is the proleptic revelation of the world's future proleptic means it's
0: the, like greek yeah uh, it's theater the, it's in the middle you hear the end
1: yeah yeah if that's true I can not change any of the science and read it the way I just
0: said it. Yeah. Okay. So it's, but I okay, also know yeah. it's
1: not demanded and certain parts sure. of it will probably change and you'd have to read it differently.
0: Yes. The you're only you thing th- to, you can't today predict it all. That's not the point. The point right. is not to be exhaustively accurate about the details of God's good ending of the eschaton. It's more just the basic character Of God. Everything comes down to the basic character of God. And if God is like the God of Jesus of Nazareth, then we're in good hands, basically. And yeah, there's going to be a ton that comes to light that we can't even imagine knowing because of our current place, right? But that's different than saying it's all bogus, pointless because of what we think we know given our current place in the universal yeah, story.
1: And I wanted to say it just because some people, those issues are big deals. Others, they're not, right? Like the, the science type of things. In others, it could be questions around religious pluralism and that kind of stuff. But I would just say the cosmic part of the cosmic Christ is very important to get because it's the cosmic part that makes possible the Christological affirmation in light of our contemporary context. Otherwise, this is what you have to believe, you have to believe that on a mediocre planet in a mediocre solar system with billions of stars in it and next to a bunch of billions of other galaxies, there was this split second of 13.8 billion years where for 30 years, the image of the invisible God was alive. And if you don't get right with it, you're screwed. And at the access point was this one person on this one planet. Yeah.
0: And, and if you grew they, up on an, in another galaxy, you're almost definitely screwed because you're not going to have any access to that information. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, like the moment we encounter extraterrestrials, I don't think we ever will. By the way, but I do think that they probably exist. Before we move past the the constants, right? So the the fine tuning, the Goldilocks enigma, that's another really interesting way of thinking about the cosmic Christ. Because if we want to use the sort of original Greek philosophical language of logos, which I understand, I understand from what I've read and learned that the way that the early Greek, you know pre-Socratic philosophers and Heraclitus and whatever used logos is not totally the way it, me- it was meant by the time the gospel writer of John uses it or Philo uses it. Still, some part of that word is like blueprint or logical mm-hmm. principle of order and stuff. That sounds not that different from the uh, cosmological constants that make it such that carbon can be created, that... Matter can congeal with just enough gravity to not completely fall apart and not collapse in on itself. Uh, These just incredibly unlikely uh, combination of constants such that we could even evolve and become conscious of the world in any sort of meaningful way. You want to call that the logos? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. really interesting. In
1: some people's intuitions, once they get into it, right, like uh, I have friends that are like, oh, I'm totally down for all the like metaphysical picture of God and all that kind of stuff you're talking about. I'm just like, I'm not really sure how much it has to really do with Jesus. And then you have people that are that are very on to the Jesus and the eschatology and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, I I don't I don't understand what the constants like why does that even matter? Like so I ask say all that just because one, I just enjoy asking those questions. So I don't whenever ever come across as like totalitarian, like you should all go think this. Yeah. Cause sometimes well one, all theology becomes doxology at some point, and you don't know where. Um, What's doxology mean? Praise. Like uh, you yeah. think you're doing is this wrestling rationally trying to figure out the truth and all that kind of stuff. And at some point, that's what you think you're doing. What you're really doing is just praising God because you're probably so wrong and off. Yeah, but it's right. a, yeah. that you're doing it shows like right. love and fidelity. It's like um, – so sometimes when you do talk about the cosmic Christ stuff, that's why I was emphasizing it's really saying God's as good as Jesus and we live in the world we're in. Because uh, I, I have like really weird theories that very few people hold on most important topics in philosophy and science. So I don't – and I haven't persuaded everyone yet. Um, so I, I know really smart people that re- vehemently disagree with me. Mm-hmm. But uh, like when your kid gives you, you're the world's greatest dad coffee mug. Yeah. 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 It is so true. And you're like, I am like the moment we're having right now is you saw this mug. There's probably millions of them. And yet you said, I'm giving it to you, dad. Yeah. And if the poetics of Christianity are really just that a cultural form of poetics that organized me to live and invest in the community and the world and the way I am, then it, the poetic still demands the eschatology, even if it's not true. That's what I'm saying is I think the beauty of Christianity, if there is no reality elsewhere <laughs> to any of it, its beauty, the integrity of it involves the eschatological vision. And and so it's like the, right. the cup. It's so like when describing, when I said what I what I have faith in, what I give myself to, that is theopoetics. And I believe it's true. And that's why I actually argue about religion and science and all that right, kind of stuff. Right. But post-structuralist trip who the other version think, of you. Yeah. Yeah. The adjacent possible trip Yeah. would probably <laughs> still read the Bible and pray every day and do all the other things. But we would really just think, yeah. n- no, I he would believe it as it was meant to be believed from that philosophical position. You, you would say things, something like more like what Jack Caputo says, like, what is harbored in the name of God and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's kind of like a Pascal's Wager for me, like, not in the sense of eternal destination. Well, you better choose God because, like, there's a chance you go to hell or whatever. But more just like, how do I want to live? Like, wh- whose yeah. life do I want to emulate? Isn't it the kind of people who live as if God's good future is real? It's the Fred Rogers of the world. It's the mm. Jean Vaniers of the world. It's the Mother Teresa's. They could be wrong. Of course they could be wrong. I don't know. They didn't know. They either know now or don't know because they're gone. I don't have access to that. But what do I want my life to look like? And what you, how I'm interpreting you as saying, like, the God's good end is encapsulated, is included, is logically necessitated by the Christian story, the basics of the cosmic Christ is like, yeah, whatever we saw in Jesus, whatever it is about the sermon on the Mount or the plane, if you're more into the woe, are you who are wealthy, whatever it is about that, that is like transcendent for you, that lights a fire in you, that stuff is tied in all together here with the idea that this is sort of capital T truth But in a way that is so much bigger than the particular way you have received it, the particular way you feel it here and now or in 10 years or 10 years ago or whatever. But like, are you going to live into that or not? And Mm -hmm. that's the that's sort of the Kierkegaardian choice we have is, will I say yes to all of that? And then, of course, the sad thing, the reason that both of our podcasts exist is that people don't even know what it is they're saying yes or no to, they've been given basically a false God to say yes or no to. Maybe it's the American militaristic God or it's the it's the pietistic uh, I don't know, capitalist God, or it's the prosperity gospel God of you know of basically formulas and transactions. and they're like, ah no, 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 which would be good. But if they were given the real one or closer to the real one, and could you say yes to this? Could you live as if this is true? All right, soapbox over. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I just, it, it, I, I just tripped you. I just did a little trip no, move no, no, there. I,
1: I've, I've interviewed a lot of people and had them sit still for seven minutes while I asked a question. It's, <laughs> it's one of my spiritual gifts, Dan.
0: Is <laughs> my um, turn. It was my turn today. I feel like we need to. We are definitely out of time here because we're well, going to do. I want to say the thing.
1: pluralism. Right. answer because we talked about the science. The other big one is yeah. pluralism. In terms and, of cosmic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In my next book, I talk about it a lot. So you can go get it. Uh, I also
0: talk about pluralism a lot on the show but but what do you what do we need it, to with say? the
1: cosmic image so like if we use the images of like covenant and God's faithfulness and I talked about the apocalyptic structure having to do with God's non-interventionist self-investment namely through the self-giving nature of the cross and such if you open up the cosmic Christ, in light of contemporary science, then you've expanded the scale and seen that divine self-investment, the generative principles of reason and emergence that have brought about our life involves even more patience than God had with Israel, right? Then you would say something like God in each moment, invest God's self in the world to the intensity that part of creation is able to receive it. The eschatological image yeah. is that the faithfulness of Jesus who could receive more because he's inheriting the faithfulness of the people of Israel, right? Without them, he's just Abraham. Abraham
0: could not receive it, right? Part of Jesus of Nazareth's cultural context enlarges his ability to be conscious of God in Mm -hmm. every moment. That's really interesting. Yeah. And if you're a process thinker, and
1: each moment includes the prehension of all of creation before it is all the past. Yeah. Yeah. If you modify cosmic Christology in light of contemporary context, then you would say something that through Jesus's full faithfulness, you see the made flesh of the generative principle of creative reason that's been at work throughout all creation, and new depths of it are revealed and then ultimately encountered as you participate in that reality. If you are thinking it eschatologically, then you would say, what is this divine gift at each moment desire? Namely, that in the I'll use biblical language, that the principalities and powers, sin, law, and death, that which inhibits our relationality between each other, world, and God are conquered so that God is all in all, that the gift of God to the world is finally received in full faithfulness and reciprocity. And then what? God is all in all. So the cosmic Christ picture and the image of hope is not like this eschatological picture where God eventually intervenes and determines everything or destroys Mm. it or whatever. It's actually God is the master weaver bringing together autonomous and different cultural historical threads of faithfulness and weaving them together into a blanket that then you can fold all creation in. Because like I talked about how the early church needed the doctrine of the Trinity to make sense. Why and why you have this eternal generation of the Son and the Father and the Spirit is the binding unity of that love is namely that God intends to give that for the world. So when God is all in all, it's not that creation ceases to exist, it's that which inhibits creation from participating in God, receiving the gift of divine life ceases to exist. And how do we that sounds crazy? It seems nonsensical. Yes, but that's because God's as good as Jesus said God was. And we have that in faith. But when you know, that story and give yourself to its truth, then you can start praying for enemies. You can even apologize to your wife. You know. And, and that's yeah. why, I, they, to me, the cosmic Christ and engages question is important because at the heart of it, it's an invitation to live in the world as a disciple of the one who chose the least of these and even thought Zacchaeus could be a part of the kingdom of God. The tax collector, backstabber, scumbag. And what's funny is they yeah, have a person right. they would put in that place, and it's still right, true exactly,
0: right, exactly anyway, yeah so the so if
1: you see that big story, then one of the things that you, you realize is that in each culture in each situation and probably on each planet where anytime responsiveness comes, God goes to the context and gives God's self. What it looks like in reception then becomes a context for another gift of the divine.
0: yeah, so yep, when you tell yeah. the story earlier
1: of Buddha, I would just say, we don't have to say always oh, a little less or whatever of Jesus in some way to preserve the uniqueness of Jesus, because that's already entailed. What we get to say is that this is a, a kid who gave a different mug, and we use the biggest words we can because what we're saying is, in this tradition, in this life, you're seeing new life get born into it. But right. precisely by being blessed by your past, that new things right. emerge. Yeah, and it becomes yeah. a type four pluralism based
0: on your conversation with the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew. Andrew, yeah. The point in talking about other planets or, you know, whatever, the, the massiveness of the cosmos is not only to talk about possible other creatures that would have relationship to God, but the the fact that there's quite a bit of distance between human beings on this planet, given time and geography. And so that's that's the reason to, to bring up Buddhism or, or any other religion is like, Sort of if you believe that in all instances God is like luring every person toward God's self, and if you believe that like Christ there are people here and there that are just more open to that for whatever reason. You can say miraculous reasons or non-miraculous reasons, whatever, but they come from their context and they're more open to God, then we would just – then we look at those different religious expressions differently because we might see them as – expressions of the divine in some sense we have to privilege the one that we're in because you can't believe something and not believe it simultaneously but you can do it in a non-imperialistic non-colonial kind of a way where you know that that's kind of more what i was getting i wasn't Mm -hmm. i wasn't trying to set up a hierarchy other than a a normal automatic kind of a sense
1: Uh, i'd say like the two parallel images that help is uh one getting to meet someone else who is a dear friend of someone you love dearly and understanding their experience encounter with them. You'll learn more about them and it doesn't mean they aren't your friend or your partner. You know, that's kind of type three pluralism in your previous episode yeah. and then type four would say something like this. And I remember John Cobb telling me this one time, he goes, I've always found it odd how uncomfortable Christians get when they find out that God has blessed them as a Jew or a Buddhist or something they have a blessed life because I've told people many times and he and Gene, his wife were married over 50 years. And uh, he said, I've told people plenty of times about Gene and I's relationship and how much we love each other. And at no point did I think they too were going to ask her to marry her. (laughs) 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 And, And so like we have the ability in us when the loving relationship we have with someone is so central to who we are. We can't know ourselves without that relationship. And yet, We regularly say you have a relationship that's similar to this that does that to you, and we can learn from each other and hear each other. But it would never mean you go home with someone different. And I think if we think of that with people that participate in other religious traditions, or for some of us, I treat other Christians like that because it's easier for me to be nice. Then we can see the beauty in another tradition, another culture, another person's relationship with the divine, because. If this is true, like if God doesn't win by building crosses, but by bearing them, by giving God's self in each moment and working with whatever responses that are there, then each history is the history of God and the world moment to moment relating. And to disregard that history is to actually disregard the fruit of God's faithfulness in whatever responsiveness the world has. And I just don't think you, I don't think as a Christian who's developed this cosmic Christology... You, you're cutting yourself off from other blessings. And I think that's why that's why I said at the beginning, if Christ is a the sinner, there are no boundaries, not because that means anything less about Christ. It's because you actually understand more about it. Because what was the image of the invisible God was made flesh in Christ, but that same image, the one who is made flesh in Christ, is the same logos, the same word, the, the same Christ that's been working throughout all of history, throughout each moment. Ultimately, the cosmic... A cosmic Christ is helpful for the very specific reason of discipleship. And I think if we pay attention to Jesus, the synoptics, he mostly dodges every theological question and insists that you get in a community that does the practices he's giving. And in the Gospel of John, he's ambiguous for a while and then does a long prayer where he says he's going to send the paraclete. And you're going to do greater things in Him, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but yeah, the Holy Spirit. And, and the paraclete is the Greek word, and it means come alongside, right? And you're going to do greater things than me. And if you abide in me, and I in you, then you abide in God. Like Jesus has His images, and John, the 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 Word made flesh, is like, okay, I got sarks, but we ain't done sarksing. We got to bring sarksy back. <laughs> come on, peeps. Yeah, and, and and that's that's exciting. And what I was offering, like as a person that is plagued by doubt and not sure of things as part of the veracity of it is the life when you give yourself to it. Right. And, And so living as if it's true, gives you a place to experience, experience the world understood or interpreted from that
0: place. Well, okay. We're wrapping up here. I hope listener that you have a better understanding of this idea of the cosmic Christ. It is both, very ancient. It is It is an idea that is at the center of the beginning of Christianity. It's the Logos in John one one, And then for us today, it is expanded through our expanded understanding of the cosmos and of how God might interact with all of God's creatures in that giant, much bigger universe than the original authors understood about. And then there's two other things that I think you will have understood Number one, you will have understood what it's like to be friends with Tripp and drink beers together at the American Academy of Religion Conference, which we do once a year and sometimes other events. And second of all, you now know whether or not you want to become a subscriber of Tripp's podcast, Homebrewed Christianity. If you liked what you heard today and feel like you can't get enough of that shit, then go over there, click subscribe and become part of Tripp's community uh, I'll, I'll have a link to those Ilya Dalio episodes. Uh, and then a third thing, the conversation with Ilya is lost to history because this was nothing like it. It, it was a trip conversation, not an Ilya conversation, but a great one. But still, uh, we got to the cosmic Christ and, uh, maybe some of like trip stuff on panpsychism and, some of these more esoteric things are closer to some of what Ilya was was talking about. And of course you could read her work and I'll I'll find one or two of her books and put those in the show notes as well. Trip any final thoughts? I'm limiting you to 60 seconds.
1: Well, I just really think that if they appreciate what you're doing, they should become a member of your Patreon oh community. My gosh, shut
0: up. And uh, <laughs> wow, we're really helping each other out here, aren't we?
1: No, I was just I I, I was just saying
0: well, they um, definitely should because we are now going to continue our conversation, and it will be for patrons only. And I will make sure that they are released on basically the same day, so people will have the context of this conversation before they listen to that. But I got to grab another beer for that conversation trip. Yeah, it is I, you, it's you twelve. You think I was just trying to
1: help you? I wasn't trying to help you. I just wanted them to hear the make stuff sure. you're putting behind the paywall. It's too good. Yeah, exactly. Go for one day.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's tomorrow for you. It's twelve. It's twelve eighteen a.m. where you are in Scotland. Thank you for going late with me tonight, Trip. And uh, yeah, so if you guys are patrons, we'll see you in that feed for this next episode. For the rest of you, I'm not going to shame you, but that is a possibility. It starts at five bucks a month. And I'll talk about that in the outro, and I already talked about it in the middle of the episode. Thank you guys for listening, to Trip. Thank you so much for your time. It was fun. So in the show notes, I've got a link to uh, a episode of Homebrewed Christianity with Ilya Delio, who was originally supposed to be the guest this week, as well as a link to her Amazon author page. She's written a number of books. Uh, She's also featured in this book called How I Found God in Every One and Everywhere, um, which is about panentheism, edited by Philip Clayton uh, and Andrew Davies. Is that Andrew's last name? Apologize, Andrew, if I got that wrong. Um, a great little book as well that's on my shelf and that I've been enjoying. Thank you to Josh Gilbert for editing today's conversation. Uh, as I said at the beginning, if you want to see photos of new baby Soren, you can follow my Instagram, Dan C-O-K-E. And there's a link to that in the show notes as well. Of course, there's the Patreon starts at five bucks a month Two at least exclusive episodes per month. I think that number is going to go substantially up when I get out of this newborn season, but no promises just yet. And access to the Facebook group, which is patron only. Um, Patreon.com slash Dan or you have permission pod.com. Click become a patron, and we will see you guys in two weeks for another general episode.